Chapter Eight of Olive. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Olive by Dinah Maria Craik. Chapter Eight. Olive Rothsay was twelve years old, and she had never learnt the meaning of that word whose very sound seems a wail, sorrow, and that other word which is the dirge of the whole earth, death, was still to her only a name. She knew there was such a thing, she read of it in her books, its shadow had passed her by when she missed her little brother from the cradle, but still it had never stood by her side and said, Lo, I am here. Her circle of love was so small that it seemed as though the dread spectre could not enter. She saw it afar off, she thought upon it sometimes in her poetical dreams, which clad the imaginary shape of grief with a strange beauty. It was sweet to be sad, sweet to weep. She even tried to make a few delicious sorrows for herself, and when a young girl, whose beautiful face she had watched in church, died, she felt pensive and mournful, and even took a pleasure in thinking that there was now one grave in the new churchyard which she would almost claim to weep over. Such were the tendencies of this child's mind, ever toward the melancholy and the beautiful united. Quietly pensive as her disposition was, she had no young companions to rouse her into mirth, but there was a serenity even in her sadness, and no one could have looked in her face without feeling that her nature was formed to suit her apparent fate, and that if less fitted to enjoy, she was the more fitted for the solemnity of that destiny to endure. She had lived twelve years without knowing sorrow, and it was time that the first lesson, bitter, yet afterwards sweet, should be learned by the child. The shaft came to her through Elsby's faithful bosom, where she had rested all her life, and did rest now, with the unconscious security of youth which believes all it loves to be immortal. That Elsby should grow old seemed a thing of doubtful future, that she should be ill or die was a thing that never crossed her imagination. And when at last, one year in the fall of the leaf, the hearty and vigorous old woman sickened, and for two or three days did not quit her room, still Olive, though grieving for the moment, never dreamed of any serious affliction. She tended her nurse lovingly and cheerfully, made herself quite a little woman for her sake, and really half enjoyed the stillness of the sick-room. It was a gay time, the house was full of visitors, and Elsby and her charge, always much left to one another's society, were now alone in their nursery, night and day. No one thought the nurse was ailing, except with the natural infirmity of old age, and Elsby herself uttered no word of complaint. Once or twice, while Olive was doing her utmost to enliven the sick-chamber, she saw her nurse watch her with eager love, and then sink into a grave reverie, from which it took more than one embrace to rouse her. One night, or rather morning, Olive was roused by the sight of a white figure standing at her bedside. She would have been startled, but that Elsby, sleeping in the same room, had many a time come to look on her darling, even in the middle of the night. She had apparently done so now. "'Go to your bed again, dear nurse,' anxiously cried Olive. "'You should not walk about. Nay, you are not worse.' "'Ay, ay, maybe. But do not fear, dearie. We'll bide till the morn,' said Elsby faintly, as she tried to move away, supporting herself by the bed. Soon she sank back dizzily. "'I cannot walk. My sweet lassie, will ye help your poor old nurse?' Olive sprang up and guided her back to her bed. When she reached it, Elsby said, thoughtfully, "'It's strange, unco strange. My strength is again.' "'Never mind, Elsby, dear. You are weak with being ill, but you will get better soon. Oh, yes, very soon.' 
it's no that and elspie took her child's hands and looked wistfully in her face olive gin ye were to tine your puir old nurse gin i were to gang away where unto god said elspie solemnly dearie i wouldna grieve ye but i may sure this sickness is unto death it was strange that olive did not begin to weep as many a child would have done but though a cold trembling crept through her frame at these words she remained quite calm for elspie must be kept calm likewise and how could she be so if her child were not olive remembered this and showed no sign of grief or alarm besides she could not would not believe a thing so fearful as elspie's death it was impossible you must not think thus you must think of nothing but getting well lie down and go to sleep she said in a tone of almost womanly firmness which elspie obeyed mechanically then she would have roused the household but the nurse forbade by her desire olive again lay down it had always been her custom to creep to elspie's bed as soon as she awoke but now she did so long before daylight in answer to a faint summons i want ye me bairn ye'll come to your old nurse's arms maybe they'll no hold ye lang murmured elspie she clasped the child once with an almost passionate tenderness and then turning away dropped heavily asleep but olive did not sleep she lay until broad daylight counting hour by hour and thinking thoughts deep and strange in a child of her years thoughts of death and eternity she did not believe elspie's words but if they should be true if her nurse should die if this should be the last time she would ever creep to her living bosom and then there came across the child's mind awful thoughts of death and of the grave she struggled with them but they clung with fearful tenacity to her fancy all she had heard or read of mortality of the coffin and the mould came back with a vivid horror she thought what if in a few weeks a few days the hand she held should be cold lifeless the form whose faint breathings she listened to should breathe no more but be carried from her sight and shut up in a grave under a stone and then where would be else be the tender the faithful who seemed to live but in loving her olive had been told that when people died it was their bodies only that lay in the grave and their souls went up to heaven to be with god but all her childish reasoning could not dissever the two it was a marvel that loving elspie as she did such thoughts should come at all that her mind was not utterly numbed with grief and terror but olive was a strange child there were in her little spirit depths of which no one dreamed hour after hour she lay thinking in these thoughts horrible yet fraught with a strange fascination starting with a shudder every time they were broken by the striking of the clock below how awful a clock sounds in the night-time and to such a watcher a mere child too olive longed for morning and yet when the dusk of daybreak came the very curtains took ghastly shapes and her own white dress hanging behind the door looked like a shroud within which she shuddered and yet all the while she could not help eagerly conjecturing what the visible form of death would be utterly unable to endure her own thoughts she tried to rouse her nurse and then Elspie started up in bed, seized her with burning hands, and asked her who she was and what she had done with little Olive. "'I am little Olive, indeed I am,' cried the terrified child. "'Are ye sure? Oh, weel then, dearie, did not greet,' murmured poor Elspie, striving vainly against the delirium that she felt fast coming on. "'My bairn, is it near morn? Oh, for a drink o' milk or tea?' 
Shall I go and call the maids? But that dark, dark passage, I dare not. It's no matter. Bide ye till the daylight, said Elspie, as she sank again into heavy sleep. But the child could not rest. Was it not cruel to let her poor nurse lie suffering burning thirst rather than encounter a few vague terrors? And if Elspie should have a long illness, should die, what then would the remorseful remembrance be? Without another thought the child crept out of bed and groped her way to the door. It is easy to laugh at children's fancies about ghosts and bogey, but Dante's terrors in the haunted wood were not greater or more real than poor little Olive's when she stood at the entrance of the long gallery, dimly peopled with the fantastic shadows of dawn. None but those who remember the fearful imaginings of their childhood can comprehend the self-martyrdom, the heroic daring, which dwelt in that little trembling bosom, as Olive groped across the gloom. Halfway through, she touched the cold handle of a door and could scarce repress a scream. Her fears took no positive shape, but she felt surrounding her things before and things behind. No human courage could give her strength to resist such terrors. She paused, closed her eyes, and said the Lord's Prayer all through. But deliver us from evil, she repeated many times, feeling each time stronger and bolder. Then first there entered into her heart that mighty faith which can remove mountains, that fervent boldness of prayer with the very utterance of which an answer comes. And who dare say that the angel of that child always beholding the face of the Father in heaven did not stand beside her then and teach her in faint shadowings the mystery of a life to come? Olive's awe-struck fancy became a truth. She never crept to her nurse's bosom more. By noon that day, Elspie lay in the torpor which marks the last stage of rapid inflammation. She did not even notice the child, who crept in and out of the thronged room, speaking to no one, neither weeping nor trembling, but struck with a strange awe that made her countenance and mien almost unearthly in their quietness. "'Take her away to her parents,' whispered the physician. But her mother had left home the day before, and Captain Rothsay had been absent a week. There were only servants in the house. They looked at her often, said, "'Poor child,' and left her to go where she would. Olive followed the physician downstairs. "'Will she die?' He started at the touch of the soft hand, soft but cold, always cold. He looked at the little creature, whose face wore such an unchildlike expression. He never thought to pat her head or treat her like a girl of twelve years old, but said gravely, as though he were speaking to a grown woman, "'I have done my best, but it is too late. In three hours, or perhaps four, all will be over.' He quitted the room, and Olive heard the rattle of his carriage wheels. They died away down the gravel road, and all was silent, silent except the twitter of a few birds, heard through the stillness of a July evening. Olive stood at the window and mechanically looked out. It was so beautiful, so calm. At the west the clouds were stretched out in pale folds of rose-color and gray. On the lawn slept the long shadows of the trees, for behind them was rising the round red moon, and yet within the house was death. She tried to realize the truth. She said to herself time after time, Elspie will die. But even yet she could not believe it. How could the little birds sing and the sunset shine when Elspie was dying? At last the light faded, and then she believed it all. Night and death seemed to come upon the world together. Suddenly she remembered the physician's words. Three hours, four hours. Was that all? 
and Elsby had not spoken to her since the moment when she cried and was afraid to rise in the dark. Elsby was going away, forever, without one kiss, one good-bye. Weeping passionately, Olive flew back to the chamber where several women stood round the bed. There lay the poor aged form in a torpor which, save for the purple face and the loud heavy breathing, had all the unconsciousness of death. Was that Elsby? The child saw and her tears were frozen. The maids would have drawn her away. No, no, Olive said in a frightened whisper. Let me look at her, let me touch her hand. It lay outside the bedclothes, helpless and rigid, the fingers dropping together as they always do in the hour of parting life. Olive touched them. They were cold, so cold. Then she knew what was death. The maids carried her fainting from the room. Mrs. Rothsay had returned, and, frightened and grieved, now wept with all a woman's softness over the deathbed of the faithful old nurse. She took her little daughter to her own sitting-room, laid her on the sofa, and watched by her very tenderly. Olive, exhausted and half-insensible, heard, as in a dream, her mother whispering to the maid, "'Come and tell me when there is any change.' "'Any change? What change? That from life to death, from earth to heaven? And would it take place at once? Could they tell the instant when Elsby's soul departed to be beyond the sun?' Such and so strange were the thoughts that floated through the mind of this child of twelve years old, and from these precocious yearnings after the infinite, Olive's fancy turned to earthly, childish things. She pictured with curious minuteness how she would feel when she awoke next morning and found that Elsby was dead, how there would be a funeral, how strange the house would seem afterward, even what would be done with the black bonnet and shawl which, two days since, Elsby had hung up against the nursery door never to put on again. And then a long, silent agony of weeping came. Her mother, thinking she slept, sat quietly by, but in any case Olive would never have thought of going to her for consolation. Young as she was, Olive knew that her sorrow must be borne alone, for none could understand it. Until we feel that we are alone on earth, how rarely do we feel that we are not alone in heaven! For the second time this day the child thought of God, not merely as of him to whom she offered her daily prayers, and those repeated after the clergyman in church on Sunday, but as one to whom, saying, Our Father, she could ask for anything she desired. And she did so, lying on the sofa, not even turning to kneel down, using her own simple words. She prayed that God would comfort her when Elsby died, and teach her not to grieve, but to be a good, patient child, so that she might one day go to her dear nurse in heaven, and never be parted from her any more. She heard the maid come in and whisper to her mamma. Then she knew that all was over, that Elsby was dead. But so deep was the peace which had fallen on her heart that the news gave no pang, caused no tears. "'Olive, dearest,' said Mrs. Rothsay, herself subdued into weeping. "'I know, Mamma," was the answer. "'Now I have no one to love me but you.' The feeling was strange, perhaps even wrong, but as Mrs. Rothsay clasped her child, it was not without a thrill of pleasure that Olive was all her own now. "'Where shall Miss Rothsay sleep to-night?' was the whispered question of the maid. Olive burst into tears. "'She shall sleep with me. Darling, do not cry for your poor nurse. Will not Mamma do instead?' And looking up, Olive saw, as though she had never seen it before, 
the face which, now shining with maternal love, seemed beautiful as an angel's. It became to her like an angel's evermore. How often, in our human fate, does the very hand that taketh give? End of chapter 8